0: the last few years, and we are in this section on the international defense of the gospel, chapter 9, 10, and 11. And in this section, we have seen already something of the tragedy of Israel. We have seen something of God's sovereign freedom, and we're now in this section on human responsibility. And we want to remind ourselves that as Paul writes to the church at Rome. Uh, the Roman Empire was somewhat extensive all around the Mediterranean Sea. And there were all these little nations that had been swallowed up. And with Rome being the capital city, that there are uh, no doubt many from various cultures and backgrounds. Here are all the roads on the land and the shipping lanes on the sea of those roads and routes that lead uh, to Rome. We remind ourselves that Paul recognizes the ethnic mix in the church at Rome. There are those of all nations, those who are from the Jews and the Gentiles, and he is able to name individuals who are his Jewish kinsmen according to the flesh. Paul, in this context of of diversity, is promoting unity among this ethnic mix. He is frequently talking about Jew and Gentile hammering home that they are one church uh, together. And in our section here, Romans 10 and verse 12, he will say to us once again, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek for the same Lord is over who is over all is rich to all who call upon him, but I want to draw attention to something of a contrast we 've got in Romans nine something of god 's sovereign freedom. This would be uh, the picture here of us being a part of that sinful clay, and God, uh, the uh, sinful the the uh, skillful. Uh, Potter, who is making wonderful things out of individual uh, lives, but then, at the same time, we have in this next section human responsibility and we wouldn 't necessarily think that these truths would be brought together, but uh, here they are and i 'm just going to jump ahead here god 's sovereign freedom. Highlights the doctrine of election. That's chapter 9. Chapter 10 is human responsibility, which brings in the free offer of the gospel. And under this human responsibility, he says in verses 1 through 13, you need to believe Jesus' gospel of grace. And you are responsible if you don't do that. And then as we come in verses 14 through 21, Paul is going to highlight that you and I need to share Jesus' gospel of grace, both here close by and really to the ends of the earth. And this section closes uh, with the picture of God standing there with his hands stretched out, pleading... With those who are obstinate, asking them to come in faith to himself. So the wonderful balance and contrast that we have here in the word of God. If you don't come to God, it's not God's fault who is standing there with his arms wide open. Well, come with me to our study here. And if you care to look at the handout sheet, Roman number one. The identification of salvation by faith, and quickly to look back over those verses that we looked at a couple of weeks ago, verses one through eight. Salvation by faith is a not by doing, verse three, for being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. This is the way that Paul's kinsmen, according to the flesh, think. We should be able to do something to win God's favor. But this is really the way that every man, woman, boy, and girl in the world thinks. There is something that I can do that will win God's favor. I am not as bad as this one. I'm at least a little bit better than this one. But we need to see at the outset of our study, it takes one sin to keep you out of heaven. If you are working your way to God, God's standard for the exam of your whole life is that there be no sins at all. One lie, one angry outburst, one sinful, lustful look will keep you from getting a perfect score, and therefore all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Our salvation by faith is not by doing, secondly b it is by believing. And this is the emphasis of verses 6 through 8. And Paul has highlighted for us that the way to salvation, the way to get to heaven is not some extremely difficult thing for you to accomplish. You don't need to go up to heaven and find Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, and to bring him down. You don't need to go down into the grave and muster up all of your strength to bring a dead Jesus up out of the grave. What's his point? The point is that the accomplishment of our redemption has already been done. And it's right there in your mouth. It's something that you have heard. It's something that you have talked about. And so you have to take that which is already done and you simply need to believe it and confess it. So by way of important lesson C, observe the danger of unbelief. Why aren't you a Christian? Well, I I I don't understand how to become a Christian. Paul is saying the, the, the gospel has already been accomplished and it's been delivered to you. It's been preached to you. You can read it in your New Testament. You can't give an excuse. Well, I didn't know how to go up to heaven. I didn't know how to bring a redeemer up out of that's all been done. The gospel, if we take Paul's line of thought and apply it to us, the gospel is right here in this room. The gospel has been accomplished. Many of us would be able to verbalize what that gospel is. But some of us who could verbalize what it is still have not believed into the Lord Jesus Christ. But then as well, by way of lesson, see the critical difference between faith and works. Believing versus doing. Works, in works I get saved because of some good found in me. I've given to this charity. I did this nice thing for someone over here. And that makes me at least not as bad as someone else. No. When it comes to God's scales, God takes the perfect righteousness of the Lord Jesus and puts it on the scale and of course, that outweighs all of our sin, and that's why we get to heaven. But if you take any of the impurity of your life, what you think to be good works, and put it on the side of the scale with Jesus, then it knocks Jesus' merits out. It's not a Jesus plus deal. It's Jesus alone. Faith I am saved by faith. Here I get saved because of all of the good in Jesus Christ and I embrace him by faith. Well, this section, verses 1 through 8, fits together here with our section, new section this morning, verses 9 through 13. Come with me now to Roman numeral 2. The central promise of salvation by faith. Now we're looking at verse 9. And notice with me as we read verse 9 again, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now the order here in verse 9 seems to be determined by verse 8. Paul is quoting from Deuteronomy in the Old Testament, and the order there is about something that you confess and the, with a the mouth, and then it is something of the disposition of the heart. So that sets the order in verse 9. You notice in verse 10 that Paul puts it back to its logical order, to its chronicle, chronological order, that we believe first, and then we make confession. So as I work through verse 9, I'm going to take the order of verse 10 and import it in here. First of all, as we're looking at our passage here, Romans 10 and verse 9, what is faith? Well, faith is saying amen to the promises of God. You don't say amen to something that you don't really agree with. You say amen to what you agree with, what you believe. Faith is knowing something about Jesus. It is agreeing with what you know about Jesus. And it is further committing yourself to the Lord Jesus. I commit to the Lord. That's what faith is. But then notice as well the faith is in the heart. So what is the heart? The heart is the core of our being. Our hearts are not like a little toe. If for some reason a surgeon needs to come and cut off your little toe, you're likely going to live. But if there's something damaged in your heart and that They simply have to take it out. You're gone. The heart is at the core of your being. It's that deepest part of you. And so what Paul is saying, that when you believe in Jesus, it's not something that's extraneous to you. Well, I go to church for an hour once a week or an hour a month. And then it's starting to get like the little toe. It's just an extraneous part of you. But he's saying, here is a faith that comes from the deepest part of your being. And now thirdly, there is the language in verse 9, if you believe in your heart that God has raised him, Jesus, from the dead. Why is the resurrection singled out? Why is the resurrection singled out when Paul writes that his summation of the gospel, 1 Corinthians fifteen three, is Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised again. And why is it then that Paul is saying, well, the only thing you have to believe in is in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Is Paul suggesting that you don't need to believe in the death of Jesus on the cross? Is he suggesting you don't need to believe that he was laid and put in the tomb, and three days later, his body was stone cold? Put your hand on the wall, put your hand on Jesus, and to the same temperature. No, not at all. What Paul is suggesting is, for simplicity's sake, if you can, from the core of your being, know and agree and commit with, commit to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, you're going to get the whole package. Because if you believe in the resurrection from the dead, then you believe that he was dead and in the tomb. And if you believe that he was dead and in the tomb, that means you believe that he died on the cross. And if you believe that he was able to die on the cross, then you believe the second person of the Trinity came by way of a virgin and was incarnated and made man. So he's not saying the only little thing But really, what I believe Paul is doing is saying that if you embrace this, which is the crowning point of everything that Jesus did, and if you believe that that one who was stone cold in his death in the tomb, if you believe that God has raised him from the dead, you believe the hard one. And everything else will follow along. You'll believe in his perfect life. You'll believe in his perfect sacrifice. You'll believe that he died on the cross. You'll believe that he was laid in the tomb. And you'll believe that he was raised from the dead. So what's the first requirement for getting into heaven? We, this message, you don't have to go up to heaven. You don't have to go to the grave. You don't have to bring anybody up. It's all That's all done. What you need to do is from the core of your being embrace the hardest thing of the message of the gospel that God raised his son from the dead. And if you do that, you'll be saved. Secondly, B, the requirement of faith in a resurrected Jesus. Now, the requirement be the requirement of confession of the Lord Jesus by the sinner. Now, verse 9 again, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus. Here is this gospel that is near this gospel that is now being explained in verse 9, if you'll believe from the depths of your being and if you will confess with your mouth. I find it helpful for me to draw a little stick figure on my sheet as I'm thinking about this, and it gives me this illustration. If I believe from my heart... If I, in the depths of my being, embrace the resurrection of Jesus Christ and everything else that that means, I will not be able to keep that hidden in my heart. Impossible. If that belief is there, it will come up and it will come out of my mouth. If I believe in my heart, I will be confessing that Jesus is Lord. Well, what is confession? Confession is an open speaking of Jesus. It's a public identifying with the Lord Jesus. And we may read this part of the verse and say, okay, I I get the faith part, but this requirement that there be a confession on the lips. I'm not so comfortable with that one. Well, think of the words of the Lord Jesus, Matthew 10, verse 32. Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. First Timothy chapter 6 and verse 12, fight the good fight of faith. Paul to Timothy, lay hold on eternal life to which you were called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Timothy, remember that you have believed in your heart and remember that it was not some secret faith You did not remain a secret disciple, but it welled up and out of you. And there are many witnesses as you spoke of your commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember that central passage, Philippians 2 and verse 9, speaking of the day of judgment. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. God's going to take the humiliated, emptied Jesus and is going to lift him up as supreme in the day of judgment. At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven, those on the earth, those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. My hearer, if you have not yet confessed Jesus Christ, that secret faith that you contend is down within you, if it has not broken out into an open confession of faith, you need to ask yourself, what's wrong? And notice here what, what Paul is saying. Paul is saying that if in the great and final day... God is going to constrain from every lip that Jesus Christ is Lord of the universe. If you're going to have to do it then, why not do it now? If God has to constrain it at the day of judgment, you will be eternally damned. But if you go ahead and do it now, along with the faith that is in the heart, then you will be saved. There's confession What is Christ's lordship? What are we supposed to confess? Are we supposed to confess that I believe that Jesus is my Savior? I believe that Jesus died on the cross. Is that all your confession is? Notice what Paul's confession is. Paul's confession is Jesus is Lord. Jesus is boss. He is the Lord of the universe, and he is the Lord of my life. Matthew 28, 18. After the resurrection, Jesus said, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Romans 14, 9. For to this end, Christ died and rose and live again, lived again, that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. We believe in him from the depths of our being, but the confession that needs to be is that this resurrected one has become the Lord of the whole universe. So I believe in his resurrection and I'm confessing with my mouth that I believe he's ruling over the furthest galaxy and I humbly confess that he is my God and he is my master and I am living for his glory. Listen to the beautiful picture of Ephesians 1 and verse twenty which he, the Father, worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and Savior and might and dominion and every name that is named, verse 22, and he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church. So what do we believe? We believe that Jesus was raised from the dead and it's like that's the hardest thing to say about the body of truth we believe. Why do we confess that Jesus is Lord? Someone may say, I would rather confess Jesus as my Savior. Jesus saves me from going to hell. Jesus covered my, and so I'll talk about him being savior. I'm not so comfortable talking about him being my boss. Paul says, You believe from your heart the hardest thing to say, and you confess from your mouth that which is also the hardest thing to confess. It's absolutely essential. If you confess him as Lord and boss of your mouth and you're believing that he was raised from the dead for your justification, then you'll be saying that he's Savior, but you won't be saying, well, he's my Savior, 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 but you're never talking about him as your Lord. If I tell people he's my Lord, they're going to expect that I'm going to have a life of obedience. Maybe that's Paul's point, exactly. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 3, says says, no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God's got to work in order for us to believe, in order for us to be comfortable saying Jesus is Lord and having a life that goes along with that. This mouth confession is... What James talks about, that faith without works is dead. If you've got a true faith in the heart, there's going to be something that comes out, and the first good work that Paul's going to talk about is this of our confessing Jesus as Lord. How do we do this? How do we confess Jesus? We confess Jesus Christ in our public worship. We confess... Jesus is Lord when we are heartily engaged with our amens, with our singing. We're singing to the one who is the Lord of the whole universe. There is an intense listening to him speak to us through his word. We confess Jesus Christ in baptism where we are symbolically lowered with him into his grave and symbolically raised with him from that grave. We confess Jesus Christ in the Lord's Supper, where we take those emblems and we say, thank you, Lord Jesus, for forgiving me, and I commit myself to walking afresh in the way of your kingdom. You are my Lord. We confess Jesus Christ in taking up our cross daily. Maybe there's an unbelieving family member. You're going to serve Christ. There may be pain in it. But I must show that I do not love father and mother more than I love Jesus Christ or I will not be worthy of Him. I'm confessing Him as Lord. What does he tell me to do in this situation? We confess Jesus Christ in standing with God in a time of great temptation. Joseph, did, Joseph wouldn't have used these words I believe in Jesus' resurrection and he is my Lord, but he was exemplifying confessing Jesus as Lord as Potiphar's wife was pressuring him and seducing him. And he ran away saying, how could I sin against my great God? How could I do this great wickedness? We've heard recently of those four college students there in the Far East... And the police have come in and have pressured them and pressured them. You got to tell us where your church meets. And they caved and they told where the church meets. And then they met with them again and they were pressuring and pressuring them. You've got to pre- you've got to agree. Sign this paper. Sign this paper that says you will never attend that church again. Sign this paper that says that you will never evangelize for the cause of Jesus Christ. And one of the four gave in. We understand it. If you don't sign this paper, you lose your college degree, you lose your opportunity for further study, and you lose your opportunity for the kind of jobs that are going to go along with that. if you will believe from the depths of your being, and if you will confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. And it is not that we confess the Lord Jesus Christ and we're perfect. I know that. You know that. There is no perfection in this life. But there has to be a reality at least that when we are confessing Jesus as Lord that our closer friends will not be looking at us and saying, you know, there's really a big discrepancy from the way that you live, what your life is saying and what your mouth is saying. See, the great promise of eternal salvation, if you will Believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead. And if you will confess with your mouth, Jesus, the Lord Jesus, you will be saved. You will be saved. There is none righteous, no, not one. Man is indeed a sinner. Spurgeon says, look, sinner, from head, hands, and feet, the blood is streaming. It is a divine being who thus suffers. It is none other than God, over all, blessed forever, who is nailed to that tree. Can you not believe that there is merit enough in the agonies like these to stand in place of your sufferings in hell? Do you not believe that justice gets a fuller payment from the wounds of Christ than it ever could find in all your wounds, even if you had been beaten from the sole of your foot to the crown of your head until you had nothing but wounds and putrefying sores, I think you will reply, I believe that on Calvary God received a greater glorification of his law than in all the agonies of all the damned in hell, though they suffer eternally the infinite anger of God. And if this is so, can you not believe that Christ's perfect righteousness on the cross is enough, enough, to cover your sins, and bring you to heaven. Go to Jesus now. Tell him that you believe from the depths of your being and confess with your mouth, Jesus, I want you as Lord. Thirdly, the repetition. The repetition and explanation of salvation by faith. Now verse 10 heart faith justifies so he's repeating he's talking about faith that is in the heart but he gives a, a development here see it there in verse 10 for with the heart one believes unto righteousness this is great theme of this book in chapters 4 through 6 4 through 5 there is that justification righteousness. Paul's gospel promise is that if you are openly immoral or you're a self-righteous man or woman, doesn't matter where you are on the spectrum, you're a sinner, you need God's grace. And if you will believe from the depths of your being, that Christ's death on the cross was sufficient, you will be justified. You will be justified. It will be as if, just as if I had never sinned. I would be one who is justified by faith apart from deeds of the law. And this is this righteousness. It's a righteousness that Jesus won. It's a righteousness that is outside of ourselves and comes from his death on the cross. If I will, from the core of my being, believe in Jesus and his being raised from his, from the dead, that he was dead, that he died on the cross, that he came from heaven, was born of a virgin, If you'll believe those things, then you'll be declared righteous. That God will get out his big stamper there in heaven and in the court of heaven amidst all the files of your sin, he'll take his stamper, justify, boom, over the whole thing. If you will but believe. Secondly, B, mouth confession saves Mouth confession saves. The latter half of verse 10. And with the mouth, confession is made to salvation. Mouth confession saves. It's not just lip service, though, is it? Because Jesus says in Matthew 7, 21, the one who says to me, Lord, Lord, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of God. There's this easy talk, I've made my decision, but there is this requirement of a changed life. And I want to talk just a moment here again about the secret disciple. We're all aware of Nicodemus came to Jesus by night, Joseph of Arimathea, They believed in Jesus at some level. Perhaps they were justified. I don't know when they were justified. God knows. But there comes a point where those two secret disciples see Jesus dead on the cross and their belief down in the core of their beings in Jesus Christ rises up and they say, give us the body. And they take him down. And lay him in Joseph's tomb. Faith without confession of Jesus as Lord may well be a dead faith. What do we learn? Thirdly, see important lessons. A confession of Christ without heart faith is useless. Religious talks or religious acts without heart faith, they missed the boat. There were those individuals that Jesus was speaking to in his day, Matthew 7, that had somehow cast out demons in the name of Christ and done wonders in his name. And he says, that doesn't matter. You didn't have faith in the core of your being. It's foolish to claim that you have Jesus as Savior, but with the same lips to be angry with your dad and mom, angry to the point where you actually curse them out. And you're a Christian? How foolish to claim that you're a believer when your life is dominated by immorality. What well, does the Bible teach? The Bible teaches very plainly. From the depth of your being, you need to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and that belief needs to bubble up and come out of your mouth, and you are confessing that the Lord of the universe is my Lord. Second lesson. As supposed faith without confession is useless. There's a relationship between the faith inside and what comes out of your mouth, what becomes visible. Are you comfortable being known as a Christian on Sunday at church, but not being known as a Christian at work? What will it mean for you If you confess Jesus as Lord, you're putting yourself out there. You're saying that, yes, he's my Savior. I believe in him from my heart. But you're saying with your mouth that he's my boss. I'm doing the best that I possibly can by his grace to believe him. So there's the identification of salvation by faith. There's the central promise of salvation by faith. Verse 9. The repetition and the explanation. And now, much more quickly, Roman numeral four, the reasons. The reasons establishing salvation by faith. Verse 11, there is this universal promise of deliverance for faith. Romans 10, verse 11, for the Scripture says. You see Paul's confidence in the Word of God. The Word of God says it, and I believe it. For the Scripture says... Whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. You put all of your trust and all of your reliance on Jesus as that chief cornerstone, as the chief cornerstone of your life, and you will be saved. Notice the universality here. Whoever, whoever believes... It's not this one, not that one, not the Jew, not the Gentile, whoever. If you're a man, woman, boy, or girl, the gospel is for you. You've been arrogant. You've been caught in your lies. You may have a sense that no one really wants you, and it's hard for you to believe that God wants you, And here's the encouragement of why you need to believe and why you need to confess, because the God who is offering the gospel says, whoever, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. Secondly, B. Notice the universal promise of a rich reception for faith. This is verse 12. There's a repetition of the universality. No distinction, Jew, Gentile, whoever you are. But now notice that rich reception. For the same Lord over all is rich, is rich to all who call upon him. Lord Jesus, I want you to save me. I want you to take away the guilt. I want you to change my heart so that I am not such a jerk all of the time. And I don't have any reason why God should forgive me. I know I'm foul. I know that I've been immoral. I know that I have lied. I know that I have been angry with my parents. I know that I have been involved in cursing. No one else knows. God knows. Is there any hope for me? The God who is Lord over all will be rich In his reception. Remember that picture coming on in verse 21. God is standing there all day long. Extending his hands. Welcoming, wanting, willing to receive. And you need to take him at his word. And you need to believe that what Jesus did on the cross is sufficient to take care of all of your sin, you need to believe that God wants you to come and believe in Jesus Christ. The universal promise of a rich reception of faith there in verse 12. Now verse 13, this is C the universal promise of salvation for faith. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's not just that you won't be put to shame. I mean, that's a wonderful thing. If you get into the day of judgment, and you will get there, but if you get into the day of judgment and you come through the day of judgment and you have not been put to shame you're in good shape. If I have not been put to shame in the great and final day, that means I will be saved. But I like Paul's advance in verse 13. I like the fact that Paul reached back to Joel chapter 2 and verse 32, lifting it out of a context of New Covenant prophecy And getting for us the words, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. One more quote from the Old Testament to buttress his argument. And what about you? Will you call on the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved? Can you whisper that? Do you want to believe from the core of your being? Do you believe that God will receive you? Do you believe that in the death of Jesus Christ there is enough merit for God to say, to look at the mountain of Christ's righteousness and to look at His death, look at you and your sins comparatively? And do you believe that God will say, that'll do the perfect life and the perfect death of Jesus will do for all of your sins? Is there someone here this morning who wants to be adopted into God's family? Is there someone who wants to have a share in God's family inheritance? Do you have a sense of your sin? I'm confident that you do. Do you believe that being left to yourself, you're going to be damned? And do you believe that that outer darkness and that weeping and gnashing of teeth is something that goes on for eternity? If you believe one word of the Bible, then you need to believe that. I want you to forget about everybody else and think about yourself, your sin, and your God, the Lord Jesus Christ, Gloriously risen from the dead. And God offering you salvation. All you Whoever calls on the name of the Lord. Who wants to call on the name of the Lord to be saved. Imagine God's ear is right there by your mouth. Will you whisper? God, I want you. I want you. Righteousness, Jesus Christ. I willingly commit my life to Jesus. Believe in Christ's resurrection from the depth of your being and whisper to God that you want Him as Lord and trust that that whisper will get a little louder with the passing of time. Let's pray. Father, there have been many, many times when we have come to your scriptures and we've studied them and we've seen the balance of them and we end up saying, oh, the word of God. It is breathed out by God. And here is the balance of your truth. And Father, this is what we find this morning. We, we have you in Romans chapter 9 as the potter working with a pile of sinful clay, and you can do with it what you want. And we come to Romans chapter 10, and you tell us to believe to believe from the heart and confess with our mouths Jesus as Lord. And we will be justified and we will be saved. And we come to the end of Romans 10 and you're not the potter sovereignly, skillfully sitting over that pile of clay But you are the God who is standing and extending your arms and your hands, inviting sinners to yourself. We embrace it all. We may not understand it all, but we embrace all your word. And Father, those of us who are believers, join our hearts together and we pray that for someone this morning... There will be a desire to believe from the core of their being in the resurrection. And there will be a willingness to whisper that they are committed to your Son, who is the Lord of the universe. They are committing their lives to Him. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.